no matter how you cut it on a day-to-day basis, it is ups and downs. You know, it is um, the the very short periodic highs of thinking, my God, I've actually done something useful here. And then realizing 20 minutes later that it wasn't quite what you thought it was. <laughs> Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the exploration of art and the creative process. This episode is the first part of a two-part conversation with the artist Mark Thompson. Mark is an oil painter who creates stunning landscapes and interiors that are both factual and fiction, and his work deals with the considerations of memory and truth. As well as painting, Mark is also a photographer using analog methods to explore the passing of time. I thoroughly enjoyed my talk with Mark Thompson, and I really hope you enjoy it too. The best place to start is where I start with everybody, is tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an artist. My God, where, where to start with that? Um, um, well, yeah, born in Britain. Um, I've been kind of led by the nose by my work um, for as long as I can remember, really. Finished, finished college back in 97. Um, went to the Slade School of Fine Art in London. Um, yeah, so after four years there, I was lucky enough to win a travel scholarship, oh. and I was rather bitten by the bug at that point. Um, and so I spent time in in Iceland and Scandinavia and Alaska, and lived in Germany and Sweden, and now I'm here in Newfoundland. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's very much the pursuit of the work. Okay. Um, I mean, what, what's, I don't know, what started me off as, a, as an artist? Um, I can, maybe it's the, the biggest cliche in the world, but it, it, um, I don't think it's necessarily something you have a choice about. Um, it yeah. becomes, I guess, like any, any vocational um, uh, life. It takes on its own form as it will, you know. Um, you know, was I the kid that um, was always drawing in the classroom? Probably not. Um, but I do remember things from early on sort of pushing me in a particular direction. Okay, that's cool. That's, that's interesting. That's quite nice. And actually, that's quite interesting to hear that you weren't necessarily the person that was always drawing. It just it's something that happened as opposed to something that was more driven. Um, mm. That's very interesting because a lot of people I talk to, it's like they knew from quite early on that they want to be an artist or they were like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. Whereas, obviously, it probably came after the fact. It, yeah, I think in some ways it's very much a language thing. You know, it, it's um, maybe it boils down to the idea that, you know, you have certain <coughs> um, ideas or certain things that you almost need to teach yourself and you need a language to um with which to say them and i think the the process of decoding that language it's it's almost like um the difference between um self-expression and self-enlightenment you know i think that the the necessity was for self-enlightenment and painting is the language through which i get to do that okay Mm -hmm. so you said that you studied in london so Mm. 
what so how did that help you and your your artistic career and what are your thoughts on art education like is it important for an artist to study art I think it's a, it, it, in some ways I was very lucky to go through when I did um certainly financially you know I I was there from 93 to 97 and it was just on the cusp of student grants becoming student loans yeah. um so I guess like with with all art students I came out with you know the the prerequisite amount of student loans um but you know going to going to art school in London was something that I purposely tried not to do um <laughs> you know I was you know when I was a kid I was very much a kind of homebody um yeah. I wanted a, a much safer route um and by almost by accident you know I mean yes of course you know I chose to do it but um I didn't intend to get in <laughs> um so suddenly I found myself um in in the big city and the the wonderful things about it um are that I had the National Gallery down the road of course yeah um and the you know the, the second wonderful thing is of course you know you get to your degree show and you're in London <laughs> yeah about same <laughs> you know, course. Yeah, the exposure exactly. it's almost like there's nothing else to say about that because you know the opportunities are there that that might not be otherwise um so it's it's incredibly informative but at the, at the same time you know I've ended up as a landscape painter and um Saying that, saying that, you know, landscape is very much a vehicle for painting rather than necessarily the end in itself. Um, but it is a curiosity being a landscape painter in London. <laughs> That's actually a good point, actually, because when I think of of artists in London, I do think of a lot of portrait painters or a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, different other media, not necessarily landscapes. And also probably because you don't really see necessarily, or maybe that's just me and the exposure to the arts I have. I don't really see a lot of London through art in the wider context of art necessarily. Mm. So that's quite an interesting consideration. Mm. So what is the biggest challenges of being an artist, would you say? Um, making peace with yourself. I, I think it in some ways is the, um, the main struggle, you know, <laughs> contemporary life in some ways does, does not equip you um, for living as an artist um, you know I'll backtrack slightly to the to the art education thing um, I mean I, I went through the Slade at, at an interesting time you know um, the all the YBAs were were in the the, the thick of things and doing doing what they were doing and you know the the idea of being a painter at that point was everybody was still doing it but rather feeling slightly sheepish about it yeah. um and you know so my trajectory at the end of that was was very different um i think ultimately it is a studio with like-minded people in an interesting place for four years um but 
it has to be said, you know, for the first three years of those four, I was an abstract painter. Um, oh. Trying to push it, you know, I was making very large self-referential monochromatic abstract paintings um, that morphed really in, into, um, into landscape. Um, and a little bit like, like learning to drive. Um, you know, I, I left the Slade thinking, I don't know how to drive this car. Now I've got to get in on my own and figure out how to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess there's a, there's a kind of ennui that everybody goes through after finishing a degree. Um, but uh, I guess coming around a little bit, <laughs> long-winded way. That's um, fine. Uh, I think that um, the, the possibilities in our education now are such that, you know, you have the, um, the atelier route, um, which is possibly better for actually amassing skills. Um, because, you know, there is that feeling that you go through the university system and, you know, you, you, you sort of walk in the door on the first day and everybody says express yourself go on then um uh <laughs> now what you know almost like you're at your you've you've no business being there because you want to know everything before you start yeah um and you know there is something for me that's extremely annoying about the idea of de-skilling yeah um which is something that's been relatively prevalent in our education um so I don't know. I don't know. I, I do wonder sometimes whether a series of interesting workshops wouldn't be a better route. That's true. I guess that's a good point, though, because I think having gone to university myself, I, I really understand that you don't really get the particularly the business skill you need to be an artist, mm. like especially in terms of it's all very well going. Oh, create this work, create this work, create this work. You've got some time to create. It's like, but what are you going to do with the work you've created? Because that's mm. all great. But it's the connections that need to be made is what's going to really propel your career when you leave. Mm. you know because if there's one thing i've learned from doing interviews so far is that connections are the most important thing within an art career like the work itself didn't even technically have to be that good if you know the right mm. people if you can show up in the right shows or if you had the right reach then you know your work mm. could be about further mm. well yeah i think you know the the business side of it is um it it, it can almost be like a dirty word <laughs> Very you know, so. um you know, we're we're almost hoodwinked into this idea that um, as a as an artist, um, we we must exist outside of business and finance and all the rest of it um, to keep ourselves somehow pure, and yet then have um, the shock of our lives <laughs> yeah. when suddenly we realise, hang on a minute, we've got to deal with um, galleries and collectors and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I think um, a kind of preparedness wouldn't go amiss. Absolutely. So obviously this this last year and probably most this year, knowing the way things are going, we've been hit with, you know, obviously the pandemic. So how has that affected you and your work currently? <laughs> um, it's, it's In some ways it sounds terrible, but it's been extraordinary. Um, no, no, a lot, a lot of people have said that's right. Um, I think that 
maybe this is probably something else that other people have said to you that as an artist, you know, we've been pre preparing for lockdown the, our entire lives. You know, <laughs> being on our own in a studio is is kind of normal. And in some ways, you know, going back to the, the question about what it, what it's what it's like being an artist, um, you have to square it with yourself. You have to square aloneness and isolation and time with your incredibly loud thoughts, um, yeah. all the while attempting to be authentic and be in the studio and make something. Um, so, you know, lockdown life is is very similar to that. I mean, I, I was I was very lucky in some ways. You know, I I came away to Newfoundland um, on a residency um, in December of 2019 that was supposed to last two months. Um, I was asked to stay an extra month to have a, a, an exhibition with another artist. And then the pandemic hit. Um, and I stayed. And I've been there, been here ever since. Um, and I mean, work-wise, the, the work has changed because partly the residency and partly the time after um, allowed me time outside of everything else. There were no other pressures. Um, no no significant overheads um no time constraints um not working towards a show not working do you see what i mean and suddenly yeah, um i could turn and face the work um yeah. and and do some things with it and accept certain things in it that i might have avoided um in the past um you know one of the the, the major things that, that has happened for me is the um the reintroduction of an extended palette, um, which is something I, I, you know, I'd have probably thrown my hands up in horror at the <laughs> idea. Um, uh, just, you know, just a few years ago, and now I find myself hungry for it. That's really good. And actually, I think that's, you raise a really interesting point when you say aloneness, because actually no one said that to me. And actually, that's a really mm. good point in terms of the thing about being an artist is that it can be, you know, quite isolating and also mm. quite liberating at the same time. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, most times you are working alone um, and you'll be in a studio by yourself, you know, it does give you that time to kind of contemplate with yourself and on your thoughts and like, do you enjoy that? Yeah, I, I do. But it, it, it is something that, again, I've had to square. Um, you know, there, there was a period of a few years ago where I, I struggled with it. Um, you know, there was that sense of... Um, Hang on a minute! Isn't aren't there normal people outside? Aren't they doing something productive with their lives? You know, um, uh, are they all? You know, I'm sure they're not all sitting somewhere wondering about what the next painting's going to be. Um, but I, I think that um, on the one hand, there's no point wearing it as a kind of perverse badge of pride. You know, oh, I'm so strong. You know, I can deal with all the all the alone time in the world. Um, or, you know, carrying it like a martyr. Um, and it's almost like an endurance test. Um, I think, you know, we all have to find ways to assimilate it um, into, into our lives. You know, uh, I've done it by being quite businesslike. You know, I, 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 I paint every day. And I... Um, and again, I don't say that as a kind of badge of pride. It yeah. that, that that's the the system. 
that that makes it work um because it is uh, no matter how you cut it on a day-to-day basis it is ups and downs you know it is um the the very short periodic highs of thinking my god i've actually done something useful here and then realizing 20 minutes later it wasn't quite what you thought it was <laughs> yeah you 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 create systems through which aloneness and is both tolerable and necessary yeah that's really interesting though because you're the first person to actually really address that and i think that's actually very very interesting so i'm going to definitely ask the next person I interview like for sure mm. i think it's actually quite well, an important thing to raise yeah i think you know there, there was um god what was it there's um one of Joni Mitchell's famous songs has this line in it, um, I'm a lonely painter living in a box of paints. You know, the, it, it's, it's the cliche for a reason. You, know? um, you have to, all of us have to find a way through it. Absolutely. Um, and I think in some ways that, that's what really changed for me with, you know, with the pandemic and the residency um, was that suddenly I had time to, to face that in a much more head-on, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't feel yeah. it makes you stronger kind of way. Yeah, because that's what a lot of people have said to me. Like, every time I've asked that, I always ask this question every single time I interview somebody. I think it's obviously important to understand how the pandemic has affected, like, the arts. I think for a lot mm-hmm. of people, they've said it's been quite positive impact because they've got more eyes on their work and, you know, they they have the time to create. And I think the biggest challenge mm-hmm. most people say to me they have is time. So it's yeah. So the idea of aloneness and kind of, you know the kind of almost solitary confinement you put yourself within to create a piece of work is actually a really interesting consideration because i've actually never thought about that and actually there's a mental aspect to it not just you know the physically doing the work and that's quite interesting actually mm. i think it also comes back to this idea of um self-enlightenment rather than expression you know um, there's the idea that art says something and that it's somehow communicating something um it, I'm not, I've never been entirely convinced that it actually communicates anything <laughs> apart from as a feedback loop to the self. Um, so that the the necessity of self, um, yeah, re- reflection and, um, yeah, teaching the self. Um, painting becomes a byproduct. That's interesting. That, that makes me think of a few questions. I've, I've quite a few questions, but um, that I've got them saved for later. So we'll save those ones for later. But yeah, that's a really, that's a really, no, that's a really interesting consideration. Um, because maybe perhaps rather than art be about something, maybe it's just we're basing on our own personal opinions of what we feel it could be, as opposed to what it necessarily means. Um, which is quite interesting because I'm always of the assumption that art is made for a reason. But actually, mm-hmm. now you said that, I'm thinking actually maybe it's not made for a reason. Maybe it's made and then like. Like personally, for me, I always feel like as somebody because I'm a photographer, so I shoot images. So mm. in a way, I'm a part of the arts in a way. Um, I mean, you're also a photographer too, which we shall definitely get into as well later on, because that's a whole ramble I can get on with. <laughs> so that's super interesting. As you're probably aware. Um, but as someone who creates work, I can understand that I don't care whether I think my work is good or not. I always feel like that's for other people to judge because that's why I'm creating it. Um, and I feel maybe the same is for meaning rather than me be like, oh, my work means this. It's, it's for other people to decide what it means. And then I'll understand why I'm creating it potentially. Mm. I think the harsh reality for all of us um, is that you make a work, you release it into the world, and you're lucky if you're with the person that ends up with it for longer than five minutes. Yeah, very so. Um, and likely as not, 
um, you know, if the work sells through a gallery or ends up somewhere, um, you never meet that person. And so that person is necessarily forced to, to take that series of mental leaps and decisions on their own. So the relationship they build with it has, is independent of the artist. Um, it's a little bit like a story of, um, I think it was the, 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 the artist Dan Flavin. Um, this could be apocryphal, but um, it was told to me many years ago, so, and I've probably <laughs> paraphrased it a bit, but um, Dan Flavin was supposed to have um, an, a big museum show. And the, the curator and the director of the museum um, were arguing about what color to paint the plinths for the sculptures. And Dan Flavin came back, came in and said, if you're worried about what color the plinths are, the work is shit and it shouldn't be on anyway. Do you see what I mean? It's like, yeah. um, we have zero control. Yeah. Um, so once the work goes out into the world, um, what it does for us, it's not that it becomes irrelevant, but it's inevitably going to be doing something else for everyone else. Yeah, it's like you, it's almost like you lose a part of, well, okay, maybe not you lose a part of yourself, but like you give a part of yourself that, you know, you just, you give away, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, that was pretty badly phrased. But it's like, it's the, it's the idea of agency, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the work takes on its own life in a way. Um, and, you know, will it end up in somebody's attic or on a junk heap, or will it end up in a museum? Zero control. So I was going to ask you this question later, but I'll ask you now because we were talking about aloneness. But so do you feel like you're part of a larger art community? Yes and no. Um, I think if, if, you, if we dissect what, what you mean by community, um, I mean, just do you feel like you're involved? As, do you feel like you're part of the industry of art? And please don't talk to us about the word industry either. But so sort of art. the art world in inverted commas. Yeah, the art world, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways that there isn't just one art world. Yeah. You know, it's like a whole series of parallel universes. Okay. Um, am I part of um, the art world that is to do with fiscal commodities? Probably not. Um, you know, you know, my, my work isn't in multiples, there isn't a great deal of it, and it's not all that flashy. Um, so in that respect, no. You know, I, I kind of run at a tangent. Um, my own little corner of the art world, um, yes. Um, you know, I'm lucky that I, I get to show with um, some really lovely galleries um, that I've had long-standing relationships with, and, and that's, that's a pleasure. Um, honestly, I, I feel like artists are, we're more or less the same, more or less. Um, you know, it's almost like um, the thing that makes us a species is, means that we're 99.6% the same, then that 0.4% that makes us individual. And the thing that I, I feel part of in terms of a community is... You know, you, you brought up Instagram, the, the, the sort of digital community. I'm finding that more and more um, that the ability to share the process um, both between artists and with, in a non-patronising way, laymen. The general um, public, yeah, general public. Yeah, people that don't make, make yeah. the stuff. Um, it's fascinating and, and it, it's a great connector. But I think what it comes down to is that it's still you still end up closing the door and right. when you sit down at the easel you're still on your own <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's funny I mean, uh, one of the going back to the silence thing you know and aloneness one of the ways i i do cope with it is by podcasts and audiobooks and you know 
because it, it does in some ways connect you back to uh, the the wider community yeah. of art. Yeah, that's, that's that's actually very true. And actually, a lot of people I've spoken to, particularly, have said that you know th when they're painting, they listen to like art podcasts, or they'll listen to to music, or they'll listen to something that denotes to what they're doing to inspire them. Um, which I think is a great idea. I think it's an absolute great idea. It just puts light on. I think also, you know, we we are part of a very, very, very primal, long-standing tradition. Um, we are, you know, I'm doing more or less the same thing with the same materials that were demonstrated in the cave paintings at Lascaux. Um, it's, it's still moving pigment around in one form or another from one surface to another and hoping it looks like something. You know, in, in a very real way, the, the standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. You know, you, you're part of our history the moment you pick anything up. And so the, the sense of community is there. Yeah, that's a very that's a very good consideration, I must say. It's a very good consideration. And actually, when you when you kind of boil it down to to what you do as an artist, it it seems quite funny, in a way. And it's just like, oh, okay, why? And I guess in a way, you're like, why is this important? Or why do I do this? Or, or you kind of start to think about, you know, like where did this kind of desire come from? So I think um, it's always interesting. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. I I think at, at one point or another, we have to, to, to go through a kind of um, um, mental equation and come out with the answer. If it was good enough for Rembrandt, it's good enough for me. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> that's true. Because there, is, there are a zillion reasons not to do this. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's, that's a really good, that's a very good point, actually. There are a lot of reasons not to do it. We just have to find that one that, you know, that strikes you enough to make you do it. And I think, um, yeah, there was a, it was a great documentary came out um was it last year or the year before um called the price of everything about the art world and the art and the business of the art world and i think it was um the the critic jerry saltz who said something like um you have to make um an enemy of envy okay um to be an artist and uh, you know i think that that's very true um we you know we're, we're surrounded with images of everybody else's work all the time and we hear their successes and we never hear their failures yeah so we there's a tendency to think that one is on one's own yeah. um so one another of the, the great things you have to square with yourself is we're all in the same boat we're just paddling in different directions yeah i like it i don't know there's something interesting about the way you talk about things there's just something about the way you talk about things that are way more philosophical and more deeper than just oh this is a really nice pretty image and i really like that and it, it's really interesting to me it's really interesting um, good well i think in some ways you know if you boil it down um what am i doing i'm an oil painter so i am moving oily mud around with a furry stick that is what it comes down to. I mean, you know, yes, that's a grotesque oversimplification and is in some ways almost self-insulting. Um, but one thing I will say for it is that it can, in it contains um, almost like the secret of perpetual motion. You know, it, it, it's, um, you cannot help but have the smile of a man who knows his life's work will never be done. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's cool. So let's get into your work then, um, because yes. that's because that's probably what you would like to discuss. Um, so <laughs> I mean, so 
Um, I read your biography, which was absolutely interesting, um, as I do with everybody who I interview and who I don't interview. I, I love reading people's biographies. It's very, it's, it reveals a lot about the artist. Um, assuming sure. they wrote it themselves. It, it says a lot about the artist. Um, and it's interesting. So in your biography, you say, and I have your biography pasted here, um, it says, my primary drive as an artist is to try to make sense of my place in the world. And I, that was really striking because you're not the first person who said that to me when I've mm. asked. And I'm just curious as to, to how do you find your place in the world through art? And why do you think art is an appropriate vehicle for that? Well, I think for, for me, it really is the only vehicle. Um, art in general and painting in particular for me have always felt like the, the most human thing I can do. Um, you know, as a, I guess as a species, we've been our, um, how do they describe us? An ape with the, the curse of self-reflection. Um, <laughs> And we, it, it, we cannot help but look for meaning, you know, from um, looking up and seeing faces and dragons in clouds. And, yeah. you know, we have to, you know, we're, we're almost hardwired to try and make sense of things and to, to, to bring order out of chaos. Um, and, you know, the world is a very big and confusing place. Um, we generally haven't the faintest idea about our own thoughts, let alone the thoughts of everybody else. Um, you know, we're, we're endlessly projecting into the future or digging around in the, in the muck, in the muck of the past to try and find meaning. And, um, you know, painting is very, it's very present. You know, it, it's a, it's a process that you cannot, um, avoid when you're doing it i mean yeah a lot of it can be a little bit trance-like in in terms of you know you lose six hours and wonder where the hell they went um but yet it's impossible not to be self-reflective whilst at it um and i think in a in a, in a lot of ways that's where the meaning lies you know a, a life unexamined you know yeah. is, a, is, a, is unlived you know it, it, um yeah, it, it, it came back to that the initial statement. You know, it's the most human thing I can think of to do. Okay, that's a that's a very interesting response because um, actually I think there's a lot. That's you know, there's a, I'm thinking about there's a lot of truth in that because obviously you have to apply yourself to to the creation of art. It's not just um, why isn't something, something like photography? And I know you've got experience about too. Probably the best person to to agree or disagree with this. But I think with photography, it's obviously a lot more mechanical. You're looking through. You know, you use a machine to create the work, whereas in art, you're physically doing it yourself. Um, so yeah, so actually, art is quite a human thing. I think that's something that's quite easy to forget in the contemporary society we live in, where we're just bombarded by images that someone's taking the time and effort to create something. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you know, as a as a painter, it's an absolute anachronism. Um, you know, and postmodernism certainly set about dismantling, you know, the whole idea of. Um, the angsty analog pursuit of of art um but yeah it, it, it's um i mean photography is interesting um in, you know in in relation to, to this conversation because um you're right we are surrounded with imagery all the time you know every waking moment most people are uh, pretty much glued to a small screen having images fed past them um, most of which they're not really absorbing anyway. Yeah. But those images, as you say, have been created um, and filtered by somebody. And 
I think that has an effect, you know. Um, I'm getting way off topic, I know, but, you know, we, we experience the world visually. Um, we can't help it. You know, it, it's part of uh, the evolutionary pressure of, of being us. Um, and I think in some ways that's, that's why I find painting so interesting because it's a responsibility. You know, the, the images that we disseminate into the world um, are, are like chasing time. They're, they're the epitome of what we can do. And I, th I think, again, therein lies the meaning of it. You know, it's not just, it's not just random firing. You know, it's not just um, holding a, a camera up and photographing anything. It, it's, it's choice. Um, and again, with, with choice comes responsibility of what you choose. <laughs> That's a, that's a really good consideration. It's actually not something that I've fully considered, but you're right because whether it's art or photography or it's creating any kind of thing, anything that you put out into the world, you're right, there's so much filtering, there's so much process and there's so much choice and there's so much consideration before it finally even hits the screen or before you finally upload it. And uh, that's quite an interesting consideration. That's not something I've fully thought about. So yeah. And I think it's also what, what links us back to the past. It was, it's what links us back to the community or you know, being slightly broader to, to the history of okay. art. Um, be it photographic or or painting, you know, it, it's um, it's almost like we have a responsibility to the history um, to not develop a kind of sloppy threshold, yeah. you know, um, where we where we refuse to think it through. Yeah, that's a uh, that's really that's really interesting though to consider um, because, like, like, do you consider like the history of art to be important for you? When you're creating you know in this contemporary contemporary era oh my god yeah oh my god yeah um i think you know if, if we if we attempt to divorce ourselves from from the history of art um what do we end up with you know it, the moment you create anything it becomes history um that's true you know i mean yeah we, we like to think that we're racing headlong into the future with, with sort of flagrant disregard um but you know I, I go back to what i said about being in london and having the national gallery down the road you know they they and these things become old friends that you that you visit and you revisit time and time again one of the hardest things actually about the pandemic lockdown is i'm aching to see a brushstroke that isn't mine <laughs> yeah you know right. to, <laughs> to experience something other than other than my own visual self See, that's actually really funny because of all the places I really want to go to when lockdown's, you know, somewhat over it is London. I really want to go back because I'm not from London, but I, I, I haven't been this year, obviously. I haven't been, I went like once last year. Normally I go a few to quite a few times, but I haven't been. And I really just want to go to some museums, go to some galleries, just, you know, look at, look at art, not like that's not on a screen. I think that's super important. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you completely. It'd be great to see artwork in the flesh. I think we, it's not. It should be seen as more important to, to view art physically than just online. Well, it's, I mean, you know, one of the interesting things about the, the business side of it, going back slightly, is that um, it's, it hasn't been so many years since the idea of buying something sight unseen from a JPEG, um, you know, used to be the absolute anathema uh, of, um, of that kind of transaction. Um, and now it's, de rigueur you know it's what what people do yeah. um you know a, a large majority of the work that i sell is is sold from jpegs um and 
we cannot forget the the physical aspect you know um when we get onto photography i think it's one of the reasons why, why the um, analog photography still interests me um because of the the bringing forth the physical object into the world yeah that's that's cool and uh, yeah it's been a yeah there's been a huge rise in analog photography over the last couple of years and I'll, I'll ask you about that i'll ask you about that later as well actually okay so getting a bit more further into your work what draws you to creating images of places rather than people and what can we learn about the human condition by looking at landscapes i think it comes down to the, the notion of narrative um i think in some ways you know landscape painting is a mirror um but it, it's a mirror you know, I don't want to keep saying self, 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 but it, it's a mirror to the self. It's a mirror to the, the viewer. Uh, you know, I I purposely choose not to populate the places that I paint um, because generally, generally speaking, you know, you put one person in a painting, it becomes a portrait of them because okay. we're predisposed to find the person. You put two in and you have narrative. Yes. Um, and then it's definitely about the human drama. Um, and I, I'd rather draw the viewer in as that person because i think one of the, the amazing things about standing in front of a painting or, or making a painting is that um you stand where the artist stood and you effectively become them um at the point of finish um and i find landscape um a, a, an invitation you know it, it, it's an invitation to both me and the viewer um to yeah, it's like a, a welcome you know um but I, I think and this, i think this is where it comes down to how things are made um you know are, are my paintings concerned with a uh, almost almost photographic representation of the of physical reality no they're not um because i i think in some ways what they're they're trying to grapple with is the idea of a painted world um and this is where the, the difference between um painting and photography widens um you know for me the, the experience of looking at a painting and looking at a photograph two very different things um and i think it, it's that's because you are you are invited into a painted world where things work a little differently um i think landscape has a, has a great deal of um i mean i would say this i suppose being a landscape painter but I think it has a great deal of relevance the further into a technological future we get. You know, we, um, paraphrasing a, 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 a really interesting book, you know, um, called Team Human. Um, you know, being human is a team sport. You know, we, we are, we're kind of in it together. And um, the things that we are, are, predisposed to reacting to continue you know can't not be relevant you know we we can um we can delve into the far reaches of technology but we're still delving into them with our bodies you know and the, the subtle mechanics of the brain um and we're still going to ache to look outside the window yeah that's i sincerely hope so anyway <laughs> so that's super interesting and actually the whole idea of realism in your work is definitely something i was going to ask you later but i'll ask you now so it's like do you consider art no well not do you consider right shouldn't art be a reflection of the real world or do you consider that a painted image is a word itself um uh, i think it's both concurrently um okay. i think you know that 
I think to come down on either side of the equation would be to um, to, to put a big full stop at the beginning of modernism and to, to say, no, 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 we'll sweep all that away and we'll turn that way instead. Um, it, it, it comes back to, again, it comes back to the, the, the notion of how something is made. You know, um, the, I can't help but quote this one. Um, the artist Vincent Desiderio, do you know his work? don't but I will. He, he refers to um to narrative as being uh, as being threefold possibly the most important of which is, is this idea of the technical narrative which is effectively how how the object is made um it's the thing that the artist invites you in with um you know i i make recognizable worlds but they're not made up of blades of grass and um, the air as it, as it smells, you know, they're made up of paint and um, technique um, and uh, time. You know, all of this stuff is about time. You know how we how we navigate this kind of intricate dance of moving substance around to create illusion. And be that the the abstract illusion of um, open space or the resemblance to to real world objects, you know, you you, you don't stand in front of um, a painting and ignore <laughs> the 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 handwriting, no, because that's what we're that's what we're left with. Okay, that's that's interesting, and I think that's that's a very interesting stance. I think. Because um, the idea of it being concurrent is um, not something I thought about. And actually, now you mention it, it makes sense because um, the interesting thing about art is that art is its own world. Like you look at an image, but it's like on a 2D, whether it's on a gallery wall or on a screen, it's two dimensional. Yeah, it's also so 3D because it presents itself as something else. And it's kind of, as you said earlier, like the illusion, like the illusionary nature of just lines and shapes that become you know, have that have meaning, become a place or become a person, become an image that you can uh, relate to as well. I think that's, um, that's curious. And so what is your opinion, actually? I'm kind of curious now. What's your opinion on hyperrealism and hyperreal work? Um, it's not an area that interests me. And in some ways that has nothing to do with the, the photographic reference. I like to, I, I don't know, I, I respond to, when I'm looking at work, I respond to the hand of the artist. And if the hand of the artist is, is ostensibly removed, I struggle to find a way in. It becomes about skill yeah. rather than technique. And uh, it feels a bit dry uh, to me. Yeah, I only ask, because I've actually had this conversation with a couple of artists recently, um, not in person, just actually through DMs on Instagram, of course. Um, because I don't know, there's something interesting about hyperrealism that it's, it's interesting visually, and it's like, it's really like, this is an amazing skill. However, a lot of people I've spoken to are very much like, well, it's really nice and it's pretty, but that's it. It's just, uh, it's like a boastful that, oh, look, I can do this and it looks really great. Whereas and it's not as necessarily, not as necessarily as deep as say more of an abstract work or more of a work that has more of a, a deeper meaning or a deeper narrative. You know, so I think that's, I was just, I was just curious about your opinion. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, I, I can't remember who said this, but somebody, um, referred to uh, to those sorts of skills as being um again driving reference um like learning to drive in order to drive around the block and show how well <laughs> you drive you know and then you know waving at your mum on the way past 
um, rather than getting in the car and saying, well, now, now I can go somewhere. But again, it's, it's kind of fashion and taste, you know. Um, it's kind of, it's not what you've got, it's what you do with it. That's true. That's true. And I think that's a good point. I think that we live in a society where something like hyper-real art is um, in some ways highly valued because it's a skill and not everyone can do it. Yeah, I think that maybe because people don't see the process or the thought or maybe just kind of the intricacies of just art in general that because they see it and it looks, oh, this is amazing, it looks real, they're like, they're drawn to it. Do you think it has something to do with with, with this idea that um, that art is, is the one area in life? And, you know, I have to use the phrase again, you know, um, where de-skilling has become almost a virtue. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, can you imagine going to um, the dentist and, you know, him having said, well, you know, I went through college, but I've decided to de-skill. Is that okay? Um, no, you'd run screaming. Um, can you imagine going to um, a football match and there being no rules? Yeah. It would disappear into, into chaos, you know, and yeah, it'd be kind of funny to watch, but it would, <laughs> it would still be chaos. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it, in a time when that that has been championed in the arts maybe the idea of the hiker is is merely the the other end of the spectrum you know it's almost like um either no skills or all skills you know um yeah <laughs> that's yeah i was, I was just curious about your opinion because it's something that i've had a few conversations with um probably because i reposted somebody's work the other day and they're a hyper real painter and um I like their work, but I like seeing the process of it. I'm not, you know, obviously the end, obviously the end result is great as well, but I like the process and how it becomes a series of, of colors, blocks of color to an end product that's real or realistic. Um, and then it opens up the discourse of realism and art, which is something that I always find interesting and that kind of stuff. But um, and also because you're painting landscapes as well, and also interiors, which I want to get into as well at some point, uh, because you're painting like landscapes or places, places is the best way to say it, but because you paint places, it, it kind of opens up a, Actually, wait. The best place, way to ask you is that: Do you think by by creating images of places as opposed to people, it's more open ended for the viewer to imagine themselves within the image? I hate a one word answer, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. Um, but again, I'm only guessing. That's so because with um, obviously portraiture, even if it's you, kind of have to kind of find the connection between yourself and the subject, whereas opposed to with a landscape. We see landscapes all the time, um, but then it also becomes a bit more. This is just me talking off the top of my head, so is why I'm like, uh, um, so it becomes a bit more. You have to understand your place. I guess actually, I guess that's what we said as 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 opposed to the viewer standing where the artist is. You kind of understand how you're relevant to the space itself, as opposed to the space becoming relevant to you. I guess if that makes any sense. It does. I think it, it's also a matter of how specific um one is um you know my work tends to be relatively specific you know it, it's not um it's it sits or i like to think it does it sits on the border between archetype and um and specificity um you know i'm not interested in in making um trying to think of a not pejorative way of putting this but i can't think of one um I'm not interested in making wishy-washy landscapes um, yeah. that are just generically pleasant. Yeah. Um, because it, again, it becomes a difference between pretty and beautiful, or beautiful and sublime. 
you know, um, you know, what are we chasing? Am I decorating or am I making painting? So how do you choose what's going to make a good subject for a painting? That's, that's a really interesting one um, because a lot of that is um, has to be felt response. Um, you know, you, you, you eyeball it. Um, and there are certain places that I cannot help but react to. Um, exactly what it is I'm reacting to, I couldn't tell you. Um, from a, a, like a formal approach, um, there are certain things in, in the places that interest me that invite the, that give you a way in. So, um, you know, there, there will often be a, quite a strong perspectival um, entryway in, into the land. Um, roads, rivers, you know, it's like yeah. there's a quite often it's one point perspective. Um, because there's there's a an automatic pull. Um, it's almost like when you then view the place painted, um, you have one foot in the room and one foot in the painting. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Well, it's, it's like, um, I guess part of the art, art, art journey is firstly to to. Um, to come to terms with the skills that you can amass, um, turning them into some kind of feasible technique and then making something with them that invites the viewer to become part of the experience. Yeah, particularly the way the key way you say experience, and I think that's a very valuable consideration, is the idea of, of turning art from just a cursory glance at a really great image into an experience of experiencing that image. Because I think as an artist, surely you'd want viewers to engage with the work as opposed to just scroll past it, for instance. Um, yeah, I think that that's why I'm always a bit suspicious of um, work that is intentionally obtuse um, <laughs> or, or, you know, like purposely um, impenetrable. Um, you know, if I'm held entirely on the surface, then my eyes skid off it as if as if it's made of Teflon. Um, it, you know, it's like the hand of the artist gives hooks um, to to the humanity in the viewer. So I'm super curious then. So because your images are rather, you know, they're quite desolate. And they're quite, in some ways, I guess, I don't know if it's better to use, but like Blake, I guess is probably a good word to use. So what draws you to that kind of, um, <clears throat> that kind of environment or that kind of thematic quality, as opposed to say, creating images of say cityscapes or like busier areas? Um, <laughs> because I find metropolitan areas quite ugly. <laughs> um, That's fine. Um, you know, the kind of straight line aspect of it you know it, it's you know cities I, I you know quite enjoy looking at cityscape paintings but I, i'm not particularly interested in filling a world with cars and streetlights and all the things that you go home to try and get away from yeah that's true um i want <laughs> peace it's like peace of peace of mind peace of um of um vision in something um beauty that doesn't have to be fought to attain yeah it's funny i mean the places that i that i have responded particularly to yeah i suppose could be considered de desolate but maybe only in terms of painting you know if we see a, um, a photograph of iceland say for, for the sake of argument 
everybody goes, wow, you know, what an amazing yeah, place. We've got to go there. <laughs> um, if you see a painting of it, it's like, oh, hang on a minute. How can I live with that? Um, because we place certain demands on painting because of the history than we do on images that we're happy to throw away. Painting, it, it does something else because unlike, unlike an image on a phone or a film or a piece of music or even a book, all of those other art forms, they cease to be the moment it ends. You know, you, you, once the, the film has stopped running, that world disappears. It plays again in your head, but it, it starts to be altered as you remember it. Um, you know, you, a piece of music becomes ephemeral the moment you stop listening to it. Um, paint, with painting, you're stuck with it. You know, you have to turn around and walk away. Um, yeah, that's that's so a really it, it, interesting. Well, it places different demands on us. I think, it, you know, maybe going back in the conversation, like, but maybe slightly forward, it's why the business side of art is, is fascinating, but cannot be the driving force in terms of what to make. Oh, because yeah, otherwise you kind of give in. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, to those pressures, you know. Is desolate beautiful? Yeah. Is the reverse beautiful? Yeah. You know, the, the, it, 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 it works both ways. It's just what you're obviously more drawn to and what you find um, important, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So do you want your images to be a fact or fiction or do you consider them to be both? Um, they're factual representations of the experience of looking. Okay. Um, but are they um, about every fact of what is seen? No. They're more about the fact of memory. They're, they're about yeah. what, what we, um, almost like what imprints on the back of your skull um, from something that means something to you. Um, it's almost like... I remember seeing a really tiny painting by Corro um, in, a, in a museum once, and I saw it for five minutes, and I can still remember the painting. Oh, wow. But if I looked at it in a book, I probably wouldn't recognise the painting that I'd seen. Okay. Because my memory has changed it. Um, and I, if I had to say where all the trees were in the picture, I couldn't say it. Um, but I still remember the painting. Okay. That's... In some ways, that that's that that's the kind of experience that the paintings are about. Yeah, because I because I, I, that's ironic because my next question is actually about memory. So it's funny you should say memory because it says mm. so. I put here so painting a memory. So I put why is art a good medium to use to explore memory and how does it add a narrative or reflective layer to your work? That time again. Yeah. Um, the physical act of making a painting takes time, and in some ways time is built in you know it's in there in the process from brushstroke to brushstroke yeah. you know say it takes for the sake of argument a month to make a painting in that month what have you been through what have you experienced um yeah. the the different um emotional temperatures that you've contained um that's all changing um so uh, memory is experience at a distance isn't it yeah um you know it, it's the 
oh, wow. the consolation in some ways if, if it's good memory or the torture if it isn't okay um, but it's still at a distance and it still no longer exists um so painting in some ways is a, is a good way to document a world that's already gone or an experience that's already gone okay that's that's a really interesting answer yeah, because I, I, cause I, that's ironic because my next question is actually about memory. So it's funny you should say memory. Because it says, so I put here, so painting a memory. So I put, why is art a good medium to use to explore memory? And how does it add a narrative or reflective layer to your work? And I think it's why it differs from photography. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's like, you know, you know that the, I never remember who the hell said this. I want to say it's Edward Weston, but I'm probably wrong about this idea of, oh, no, it was Henri Cartier-Bresson who talked about the decisive moment. Painting is the indecisive moment. <laughs> it's still a moment that you're caught, you're, you're stuck with, but you you come at it. It's almost like you have to circle back on it um, and arrive at something that you didn't know what it was going to be when you started, and yet it still arrives. So how do you know when a painting is finished? Because it gets to a point where the number of changes you need to make are smaller and smaller and smaller. And if you did anything else, it would become a completely different painting. It's almost like, <laughs> this is going to sound a bit self-defeating, but paint, uh, finishing a painting is a little bit like admitting defeat. Um, it's like, this, this is the best I could do, and I'm going to have to wait until next time to try and do it better. And in, in some ways, it's arbitrary, you know, the, this feeling of, well, it's got to end sometime. <laughs> you know, you've got to draw a line under it at some point. You could keep noodling at it forever. But in order to get better, in order to move on, in order to make something good, you have to release it. Yeah, because the one thing that, that I've always thought of, and it's something that someone once said, I've no idea who said it, but they said that, and it's something that I've said that I've said, but I've definitely didn't say it. But, um, <laughs> I've definitely said it in other interviews that I said it, or I, I thought that I have that I created. For we my need to get our quotes in line. I know, I do really badly. Uh, there's actually a quote in a minute that I'm going to bring up that I actually do have a reference for, surprisingly. So yeah, so someone said that the whole reason that we, the whole point of art is that you don't create your best work intentionally like you sabotage yourself because if you created your best piece of work, you'd never have to create another piece of work again. Yeah, I think that that's kind of interesting. I think that it, it, it relates back to the idea of imperfection. You know, we, you know, as as a human, uh, you're you're prone to the the vagaries of time and the body, yeah. and your own taste as it changes from day to day. You know, something that we thought was perfect one day isn't perfect the following. And frankly, we'd be bored by it if it was. Absolutely. You know, there's no perfect surface. No, of course not. I think, yeah, it's just like a, it's a it's a progressive evolution of trying to think of, of trying to find that perfection. Because once you find it, then you won't have to, to find it again. So, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. It's, it's also, it's it's akin to the idea of a relationship. You know, you, you create a relationship with a work of art. And if that work of art was by some miracle perfect, there'd be nothing to engage with because we're not perfect. Yeah, very true. Very true. So there's a, a really cool sculptor, and I feel like I keep bringing this quote to everybody recently, but there's a really cool sculptor called um, Brian Booth Craig. I know his name because I looked it up earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he said, so, so he, it was on a podcast called Artist Decoded, which I, I listened to, um, and he said that a painting is not finished until there's a viewer to see it. Um, do you agree with that? A painting is not finished until there's a viewer to see it? Yes. Um, no, no, I, I, I'd almost go the other way. Um, whether, I mean, it gets a bit, if, if a tree falls in a forest and all that kind of thing, the painting is finished when, when the artist says it is. 
whether whether it's ever seen or not. But again, it's it's whether you're requiring the engagement for uh, a terminus to the, to, to the um, to this kind of circle of making. You know, if you think about it as you know, you start at this one point and you get you, you come full circle to its end. You have to be present at the end. Yeah. You know, you're the you're the beginning and the full stop, um, so rather than anybody else being it. That's a very different answer to a lot of people. So that's actually really interesting. That's very interesting. So let's talk about your photography as well. So did you, so your photography, did that start after your art or before your art? No, I, I, I became um, interested in photography um, almost by default. Um, okay. You know, I, um, I had no idea what I was doing with the camera um, the first time I traveled and uh, subsequently ended up with a whole load of images when I got back thinking, this looked nothing like the experience um, and being incredibly disappointed. Um, the next time I travelled, I knew better. <laughs> you know, you learn, I, you learn quickly, I yeah. tried to, yeah, you, you learn very quickly to, to get what you want from it. And I think as, as time went on, the, the process of photography began to interest me. You know, it's like one of those really early daguerreotypes um, of a Paris street that has no people on it. Uh, I think it was actually Daguerre who was asked, you know, said, my God, man, how did you, how did you take, make this image? Where, where are all the people? And it's because the, they didn't register. And that is so akin to painting. You know, the, the, those two things are so linked. Um, so in some ways, I, I think the way I view photography in, in my own work now is twofold. One, the same as everybody else, it's an iPhone. Um, uh, taking things I see, um, providing a way to look at the work in a, in a small scale. Um, um, but it's also using the photographic process to see things that I can't. The last time I used it in, in that way was photographing pretty much in the dark. Yeah, um, yeah I read that. I was really interested. Yeah, but it's like revealing a world that you, you can't physically see. But it's still there, um, and there's there's a an extraordinary stillness in that. It's like watching something breathe, you know, um, rather than. Um, do you know the photographer Thomas Joshua Cooper at all? No, I don't. You know his work. I don't know. Uh, have a look at that. He he um he uses a, um an old land camera and goes out and takes a single image okay um because he spent the time finding the place judging it um uh, correctly and making it decisive rather than snapping a zillion sticking yeah. them in photoshop and saying oh no. yeah. you know it, it's, it's less arbitrary yeah i think that's that's the thing about photography is that at the minute it's become very accessible like to everybody mm. and you know yeah. in, in a way everybody's a photographer um so Give how do you, well we'll get into that conversation later um <laughs> but because uh, like personally no i don't personally um but yeah we'll talk about that later that's definitely a question it's a question on my list um now's, mm. <laughs> now's <not> the time. <laughs> <laughs> um so how do you decide what will make a good image particularly when it comes to photography, because obviously if you're shooting long exposures, for instance, you know, it's your dedication of time and you want to have something worth it. I think there's, there's a 
a great deal of compositional experience and hardwiring. Um, you know, the, the things that you respond to in daylight. Um, you still have a hint at them, um, you know, because of the way our eyes work. You know, I think if I'm honest, I don't really know. It, it does come down to what matters. You know, when you strip out everything else that you don't want to take, yeah. what remains has to be right. Yeah, because I'm always curious as to, to how artists settle upon their subject matter because art's so wide, you know, so wide open. You could create images, whether that's photography or art or you know, whatever of anything. Mm. Yeah, you've chosen that one certain thing for that one particular image at that one moment in time. It's like, so how did you get to that point? Well, it's deeply risky uh, because you, it, by doing anything, you're you're not doing everything else. Yes, if you're present in one place, you have to be absent in another, as I like to say. You know, mm. I think that's well, a, it, it, that's where the responsibility starts to come in as well. Um, as where you know, by engaging with the craft of what you do and taking responsibility for your own self in relation to it, um, then the, the chances of making those decisions better. So you said that you use analog photography. Mm. So what are your thoughts on the kind of current, I don't know if it's really current necessarily nowadays, but the current trendiness of analog photography in the last say five years or so where the popularity has kind of risen a lot. What's your opinion on that? Um, well, I think, you know, in any um, balancing of, um, you know, the the rush towards the flat perfection of digital. Um, it was Iraqi talked about the, his his photographs, and he always said that um, he'll never turn to digital because he doesn't trust it. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's too perfect, and there's no there's nowhere to go with it. Um, I'm not sure whether that's actually correct, but um, there's something there's something about the the chemical reality of analog photography, which I think is very uh, very hands on, very human. But I think also, you know, some of the best photographs um, that we respond to are they're wrapped up in our own memory pasts, you know. Um, we're, we're interested in Polaroids and light yeah. leaks and yeah. all, all the imperfections, the things that we've been trying to iron out of photography. And suddenly people think, hang on a minute, this is where my memories were. <laughs> yeah. What I want to see is opening up a photograph album and saying, well, yes, my photographs from the 80s have gone pink, but that's where my memory lies. Um, yeah, there, there was, um, what was his name? Um, a Russian photographer called um, is it Titarenko, um, who made oh my god, they made the most beautiful photographs of people coming in and out of uh, a, a, a tube station or something. And you don't see a single person, but what you see is this dark mass, yeah, and it's like people fog, um, uh, drifting in into a into a, into the underground, and. They're images that um, are I was like, the epitome of, of what analog photography does. You know, it, it reminds us of time passing because that's the process. It's about time passing and the the fixing of that. 
See, that's really interesting because it makes me think about. I don't know if he was a photographer who did the pictures of um, empty theaters, and it was like people. It was like a lot of really long exposures. Yeah, like yeah. the really long exposures of theaters, and it was like the play was running, and you just see the empty theater, but people were still there. It's like Love. that. It's like it's interesting. It's like the way we, and it comes back to the human condition, like the way we amass to these you know public spaces. Yeah, at the end of the day, at some point they'll be empty. You know, that's actually like a really interesting, particularly when people are still there, that's super interesting because it's like you're there, but you're not there. And then it's just like, you know, the, imma- the immateriality of time. And, you know, I think yeah. that's like and super those. interesting. And particularly when it comes to photography and time, there's there's so much to be said um, about photography and time because obviously photography is inherently time with time. And because um, photography and time is, is so interesting because obviously photography freezes time, but it also is a reflection of the time that has passed. So it's like, it has this weird, it has like a really interesting relationship to time. And I think that's you think part of the joy of it. Yeah, do you think it's like a, all of this, you know, everything that we're talking about is like an exercise in futility. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're attempting to understand um, our own time as it's passing um, and uh, attempting to, to leave something behind us to say that we, we were engaged in the struggle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's about, it's about legacy, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah, I guess. Because when I talk to, it's funny because when I talk to people about, say, the flying fruit ball, I'm like, oh, it's, and I talk to them about, I see it as an archive as opposed to the present. Like, I don't care about how many views I've got today. I care about what people are going to think about it in five years' time when they see it as an archive. And I always talk about legacy, even though I'm not going in anytime soon. It's like, it's this idea of like, this is what I was doing at this moment in time. It won't be necessarily what I'm doing this time next year, but it's what I'm doing now. And I think that's, that's a good point as you raised. It's about, you know, the time we spend doing something and kind of showing that we were here for a certain, it's like a footprint for the future, I guess. And I think that's interesting. I think, yeah, I think photography um, and time, that's something I can ramble on about forever. But yeah, I think it, photography and time are very interesting if you want to, to have consideration on time. Because obviously, even the act of long exposures, you know, you're taking time to produce the image. Yeah, yeah. the final... And yeah, I the remember. Final, yeah, and the, but yeah, you know, the final I remember image, the action doing it. Yeah, but yeah, the final image itself is just one moment. Well, even though it's not one moment of time, but it's like a slice of time. It's still one ob- one object, yeah. one image. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's interesting. And okay, so so what are kind of so how do you split your time between art and photography? Because they're both very different kind of mediums, and they 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 kind of you know command a lot of time individually. Well, for the last few years, it's been it becomes a little bit like um, how many masters do you want to serve? Or you know, which doggy you're feeding? Yeah. Um, which rabbit are you chasing down the hall? Yeah, um, everything um, sank away in in favour of painting. Um, you know, I've been finding that painting fulfils all of those questions, um, which isn't to say that you know I don't have. Um, a few things poking away at me that might need to be something else. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I'd say at the moment, honestly, it's about 99% painting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's interesting though, Bert, because as somebody who does delve into different disciplines, it must be very interesting for you because perhaps your photography informs your paintings and your paintings perhaps inform your photography because they're quite similar in terms of the subject matter and kind of the ideals behind it. So it's quite curious that you actually do choose to use two different mediums as opposed to just being like, oh, I'm going to stick to painting or oh, I'm going to stick to photography. Um, hmm. But what I think also, 
Sorry, go. No, 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 that's continue. Um, I started to find that the thing that I was chasing in both mediums could coalesce in one. Um, and because what I was, what I am and was chasing with photography was access to time and memory again. Um, and I realized that if I was a little bit braver with the painting, that I could bring a lot of what I was chasing in photography back into the painting or the painted world. Um, you know, because, you know, I can't pretend, to, I'm not a plain air painter, you know, I, I, have, I, I don't go out into cold environments and freeze my nuts off while I'm doing it, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a studio painter um, because the time of making in studios is what it's, what the process is more about for me. Um, so, of course, I take it from photographs and drawings. Um, sure. So I guess in some ways photography now feeds back into the work in a far more direct way. So have you ever painted nightscapes? Nightscapes, no. Um, the paintings are getting suspiciously dusky. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or dawn-like at, at the moment. Um, which has been a, a really good um, um, pathway into colour. Yes. Yeah, actually, let's certain... talk, yeah, let's talk about yeah. colour. So what kind of mm. what kind of colour palettes do you kind of... Because your work seems to be very monochromatic, or at least it, it has, you know, a less is more kind of appeal to mm. it, I guess. Um, so can you talk a bit about colour and colour palettes and how you choose what kind of colours you want to work with and what colours do you like working with? Um, well, for for many, many years, um, probably from college uh, for the, the next 25 years, I suppose, um, I limited my palette in a very stark way. You know, I, I would make a dark um, out of um, indigo and raw umber and olive green. That would be the basic dark, um, which could then be altered. Um, and then there'd be um, different greys and whites. And so color was almost um, incidental. You know, if, if anything came out of that, eh, okay. Um, was I gonna chase it? Not if I could help it. I guess at the time I wasn't wishing to press those particular buttons. Um, and as time went on, I started to, to feel like I was chasing color, but it was slipping out of my grasp. It was always kind of, uh, I'd lose it somewhere in the painting process and it'd be like, oh God, I, you know, trying to get it all the time. And in the end, I, I, the it was actually the interior paintings um, that started to change that because the light in the spaces was different. And I started to, to filter some of the images that I was working from. Um, and they ended up with digital artifacts that were colour. And I realised that they were much closer to what I was chasing. And from, from that point on, it's been a, a, a gentle slide or <laughs> decline into colour. Um, so now, you know, gone from a very, very tiny palette to, a, in some ways, a much more traditional one of a warm on a cool of every colour, the reliance on much more traditional things like lead white and 
you know, bringing yellows into the palette, bringing stronger, higher chromatic um, colours into the palette and making much more deliberate choices rather than um, uh, just the incidental remnants. So do you think a lot about the kind of colour temperatures and the viewer response to the colours you use in your work? Or is it purely more kind of how you feel about what, what you think will work? I was very suspicious for a long time of what those colour relationships did. Yeah. Because it, it, it almost seemed, and I, I think I was mistaken in this, it almost seemed easy to, um, to poke people's emotional buttons with yeah. particular colours. And you know the the obviousness of certain things <coughs> receding or, or coming forwards in the picture plane, um, but I realised, and I would say this now because this is the way I'm going, um, that it's a little bit more complex than that, um, and it's certainly a lot more complex than I gave it credit for. Um, so, emotional complexity or the the reading of painting as emotional complexity is. Um, has greater possibility when you increase the possibilities in the palette. Yes. So, you know, I'm not about to paint everything bright yellow or something, but yeah. what I am doing is by raising the possibilities in the chroma, I'm finding that my own emotional buttons are being pushed in a more complex way. And that can only help the painting in the long run. Yes, I guess in a way like your emotional response to the work you're creating is going to come out in the color palette you choose. Yeah, that's quite interesting. That's a very interesting consideration, particularly because your painting is something that may or may not be reflected of real life. Therefore, you don't have to necessarily use correct colours, you know. <clears throat> exactly. Um, you know, I'm not painting green fields and blue skies and fluffy mm -hmm. clouds, you know, and frankly, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course um, not. But that isn't the area that I'm attempting to delve around in. I think that's why I find your work very fascinating because it's it's real and not real. You know, it's 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 sad, but also quite hopeful. You know, I think that's it's kind of it exists in this kind of in-between plane where it's not quite one thing, but then it's not quite another. And then you talk about time and memory, and then that's like as like some other significant weight to it. And I think that's it's fascinating. And you know, I, I feel like I say this to everybody, but it's like it's fascinating. You know, it kind of it draws you in on a different level just to be like are this a nicely painted like landscape it's like okay so what actually are you looking at and what is it actually meant to represent what am i what 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 is expected of me as i'm looking at it yeah see exactly yeah absolutely and that, that's nice that you're engaged with the knowledge of that's what your work can do well i think it does it for me because in some ways like, what i'm what i'm attempting to do is create um objects uh objects is the wrong word word um spaces that are just as internal as they are external it's yeah. a world as i would rather see it yeah. than a depiction of the world as it necessarily is yeah art is one of the best forms of escapism so absolutely yeah yeah it, it, i mean let's face it it has to be amusing otherwise we wouldn't do it all the time <laughs> absolutely true and actually that is actually really nice into the next question oh. which is which, <laughs> You're no, it, no perfectly it, that, it happens a lot so it's perfect yeah. so so how do you, as an artist, make sure that you're not repeating the same ideas and the same concepts and that you're evolving? And is it and how important is it for you to evolve as an artist? Um, rigor. You know, you have to be rigorous um, with yourself. And but, you know, having said that, you know, the, the almost um, certainly modern 
and um, exponentially contemporary view of progress as being this, you know, very, yeah. very quick onwards <laughs> movement um, doesn't really work when you're making paintings that might take a month to do. Um, some of the most interesting um, lives in painting that one sees, very little movement has actually been made, but the movement is subtle. Um, uh, the paintings of Giorgio Morandi, for example, you know, he painted bottles and collections of things in his studio, and yet they changed. You know, the, the raw materials, I mean, let's face it, my raw materials are, are pretty slim. Um, I'm still making oil paintings on flat surfaces that are more or less rectangular. Yeah. You know, I've introduced some serious restrictions there. Um, I'm more, I guess I'm more interested in, okay, let's actually flip that. I'm not interested in my work as a series of projects. Okay. I'm interested in it as a body of work, a life body of work that is ever evolving at varying rate. Okay. That's a very interesting way to look at it as opposed to being, yeah, actually that's a very interesting way to look at it. And it, it seems like it allows you to rather than be like, okay, so what's my next project? It's just to work on a piece and be like, I'll figure out where this fits in at a later date. It doesn't really matter right now. Um, mm. But then you know that obviously what you're doing is going to be referential to something that you've done before at some other point in a different way. Mm. Yeah, it's like, um, uh, you know, a project appears to have a beginning and an end. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, a, a lifetime spent painting is... Uh, continuous and it, it has the room for something to be thoroughly explored rather than um okay let's zip through this as quick as we can <clears throat> answer a particular question and then jump onto another one nice <laughs> like this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's actually a really interesting consideration and actually it, it might be worthwhile for people just to think of their work as an overall collective yeah as rather than projects because you're right because then i feel like that's a good point because then you're right because if you put an end to a project then it almost like you're closing a door you don't want to reopen again but actually you might not be finished with the with the ideas and the thoughts and the themes that you were exploring no exactly one of the, the most useful things that was ever said to me um when i started my career for want of a better word um it was uh, it was a final final day of um, my uh, degree. And I think the, the degree show was up and we just received our final marks. And the professor, um, who I hadn't really spoken to much for, for my, in, my, in my time at the, at the Slate, um, sat, down, sat down next to me. I was sitting on a bench outside and he sat down next to me and he said, Mark, your career is 80 years. It's not six months. And that has uh, always stuck with me and it was the most useful thing anybody has ever said to me in in regard to art um because it's not um it's not a lifestyle it, it's not a an affectation that um you um you use to make your life more flamboyant um yeah. or provide yourself with um a diversion um it's much more intrinsic than that um once 
it sounds a bit overdramatic, but once it's chosen you, <laughs> yeah, there's course. no shaking it loose. <laughs> no, that's true. Because even whether like whether you formally learn like art or not, I think you're right. I think end of the day, if you're a creative, you'll find a way to be a creative. It doesn't matter what the what the respect is and what that final project will be, you'll be a creative at, in some outlet. Painting calls you back to the easel. Yeah. And yeah, it keeps just, calling you. Yeah, it's just the same way, like for me in photography, is that like I might not necessarily shoot something for like a year but there's no way that i would ever just give it up because i just really couldn't i still have ideas i still have interesting places i want to go and things i want to shoot and ideas that i, I really feel the need i feel compelled to take so i agree with that i feel like you kind of you don't force creativity because you know you harness it i think also creative creativity only gets you so far um you know it it, it, it Again, it, it's a little bit like, um, it's why I think drawing is so important yeah. as the backbone to, to everything that we do, um, because it gives you a framework in which to be creative, you know, without a series of skills that allow you to communicate your visual language with yourself. How can you hope to share it with anybody else? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good otherwise, point. It, otherwise, it's a bit like, um, otherwise it becomes a bit stream of consciousness. Yeah. You know. So actually, there's a question I was going to ask you later, but I'll ask you now, which I feel like I've said way too much. But um, so would you create your work if nobody ever saw it? Of course, you know, it, I mean, it's very easy to say that, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, you never know whether something's going to be a success. You never know whether that success is going to turn into a sale, whether you can ever afford to make any more of them, and yet you keep doing it. Yeah. You know, you ha- in some ways you have to be practical about it and, and business-like and say, well, the audience is a love, you know, is like your act of love. You know, you, you, you're, um, you're hoping to give something of yourself and hope that it's understood but whether it's understood or not you still keep giving it yeah so talking about that actually so you have a specific viewer in mind for your images when you create work viewer um no i'm not sure i can um because of the randomness um of where they might go and if they go anywhere at all i guess you know i'm my ultimate viewer is me um because I, I don't know what they're going to become. And in the nicest possible sense, you know, I'm making them to amuse myself. No, no, I agree. I, I couldn't understand that. Mm. I think, you know, it, it's it's tempting to be over-romantic about it and say, oh, you know, I only make work for myself. And of course, everybody, you know, it's impossible to say they're only for me um, because there is a viewer and I'm lucky that there is one. Um, you know, people fortunately respond to the work to varying degrees and 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 that's a great luxury and a privilege Definitely. because I get I actually get to consider a viewer. Who that viewer is, I have no control over. But I've, I mean, do you think there's a certain type of viewer that is drawn to your work? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm about to alienate half of my um, my viewing public. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 an interesting question, you know. The paintings are, you know, they do have a um, a reflective melancholy in them. You know, there's yeah. there's no point pretending otherwise. 
<laughs> and some people are going to be um won't wish to, to to engage with that and that's that's fair enough so i imagine that my viewer is going to be some kind of kindred spirit unless you have kind of a grip and a hands on on the kind of potential viewers of your work so that you know you're not just like throwing it wide open that oh i don't care who views it anyone can view it you kind of have an inkling of, of what you're drawn to and what other people are drawn to within your work absolutely um yeah it's funny because i i almost don't know where to go with that i think that any anything that demands time of the viewer in any way is going to require um emotional breadth yes of course. whether whether the viewer wants to give it or not yes like um, art is an emotional an emotional investment yeah it, it sort of has to be yeah. um and if it if it isn't then I suspect the the experience is cold and dry yeah. and arid. Um, you know, th I think there's a reason why people, you know, come out of museums tired. You know, it's not, we don't walk all that far in, in museums. It's nice and warm. You know, it's quite pleasant. We can sit down whenever we like, more or less. And, and yet we still come out tired. Why is that? It's because we're giving of ourselves emotionally to, to, to the history of art people cry in front of art yeah why, why is that it's because they have an connection to it yeah i mean i mean that's true it's, it's kind it's of demanding something like, like that's the kind of fascinating thing about art though um is that it, it can be so emotive and so provocative and so um you know it gives something whilst you're viewing it also it's like a you know it's like a it's a two-way street i guess in a way that's probably the worst way to put it but it's like you know I, you, I think yeah. you enter into a feedback loop. Um, yes, thank you. That's it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not prone to, to being massively emotionally um, affected by art, despite the fact that I make the stuff. Um, but you know, the the one of the times this actually happened was in in front of um, a, 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 a series of three Caravaggio paintings in Rome. And I, I wasn't expecting the experience at all, but um, it was like being introduced to the potential for what for what it could be, and being over overwhelmed by how 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 little I had so far achieved, um, but what was possible. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing about art for me personally is that art makes me curious. Most curious about what it is that I'm looking at, and also the person who created it. Hence, you know, interviewing people and stuff like it's it's that curiosity. And I think art is a, a perfect segue into somebody else's life without having to necessarily know them. Um, yeah, it's like you can. It's like a it's like a symbol. Like your work is a symbol of yourself. Um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. That's a question I want to ask you later that I'm going to save for later. But so this is another question I was going to ask you later, but I'll ask you now. Um, it's like, why do you think art is important? Why, geez, um, why is art important? Um, because I think it predates language. Um, I think it predates um, verbal and certainly written language. Um, it, it's, it's a way of decoding the world um, with, with a, a kind of visual immediacy that um, it's almost like it speaks to our biology, you know, um, it's part of our 
part of our past. It's like um, it's like a thread that runs through our our human history. You know, um, it's only really in in the last few hundred years that, um, and certainly in the last hundred years that the artist has been seen as um, something to be um, amused by. You know, um, you know the kind of enfant terrible of yeah. of humanity. Um, you know, uh, art was a was a, a business. This is the wrong word. Um, profession, like yeah. being an architect or a doctor or a lawyer, um, up until the modern era. And um, you know, whatever we think of it now, you know, we raise institutions to the praise of it. Yeah. Um, you know, for a very good reason. I think it's also because, you know, these people were not um, sloppy thinkers. You know, they were, um, they made the best of what we can do. You know, these are the things that we've chosen to leave behind us and others celebrate them. So I think it, it's indelibly important. I mean, of course, like obviously, I, I, say, I imagine you would because you're part of, of creating art. So I imagine you would because... <laughs> yeah, I suppose I would, wouldn't I? You know, <laughs> well, one would hope. But then again, not necessarily. You could be doing it for the money. I mean, people do do that. So yeah. um, I think, okay, this is, this is the second part of that question that I was going to ask you later. I've asked you that one now, so I have to ask you this one now. Um, so what do you think the role of the artist is in this contemporary society? Uh, do you, but in that question, do, do you mean um, the role that contemporary society bestows upon the artist or what do you think or what the role of the artist ought to be both <laughs> um i don't think it's really changed um not really uh, i think it might be um i think art or the artist reminds us of what it means to be human um i mean you know i i dislike how the artist is often seen and portrayed um in, in contemporary society, um, you know, the, uh, the phenomena of art speak um, and, you know, the, the kind of intentional obfuscation of meaning um, uh, that we've done to ourselves uh, has um, ostracized and confused everybody else. Um, and it, it's almost like we, we as artists have placed ourselves or the, the business of, of art, the mystification of art um, has made it um, impenetrable. And whereas actually we're, we're addressing the simplest and biggest questions of being alive. I think that that's, that's the role. You know, we're not journalists. We're not, um, uh, documentarians you know we're, we're doing something else um, we're leaving behind a trail of images and objects that um, if not seek to understand and certainly engage with the struggle of being human yeah I think that that's that's the best I can do on that one really. that's right that's perfect. <laughs> that's absolutely perfect so let's get back into your work a little bit because I, I kind of enough topic so interiors so your interiors are really fascinating um, they have a very dreamlike quality to them, which I don't know if that was necessarily intended. But um, when I was looking at them, they seem very dreamlike and very kind of 
I don't want to say mystical, but I don't know. There's something about them that, that really struck me. I, I mean, not as opposed to your landscapes, because your landscapes are just as equally interesting, but there's something about this idea of a, a physical space that you're capturing mm -hmm. that is um, just has a different vibe, I guess, to your landscapes, because obviously landscapes are exterior, whereas in your interiors are obviously interior. Like So, yeah, how is the approach different in your creation of interiors as opposed to exteriors? Well, I think um, from a... A practical point of view, the, the the drawing is obviously much more of a challenge. Um, so you, you cannot help but um, be much more rigorous about the preliminary process. Um, but at the same time, the 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 bravery requirements of straying from um, underpainting, for example, you know, getting locking something in and then allowing it to dissolve before locking it back in again. But uh, I think emotionally that they, they are very different spaces. I think one of the reasons why I, I I veered away a little from them is because they they began to feel like um, repositories. It was almost like um, this is something that um, contains the viewer, contains me, yeah. um, rather than being an invitation into the world. There. Uh, almost like a, a, a kind of purgatory where you're you're you find your, your way through um and i guess in some ways that's where the the dreamlike quality comes in because it, it it ends up being you confronting a space i guess in a way it becomes a box around the viewer yeah it's it's in some ways it's a little bit like the, the difference between um renaissance and and mannerist attitudes to the picture plane yeah. you know um the the interiors are very much like stage sets. You know, the, the yeah. um, perspective is clear. It draws you into a space in which your own drama plays out. The landscapes in some ways are much more about um, in, intruding into our world. Yeah, because I think with the interiors, they're like, and it, as you said, yeah, they're an enclosed space. Therefore, it's a lot more restrictive. Like the viewing of it is more restrictive as opposed to with landscapes because they're, you know, like interiors are very specific. Yeah. Whereas in landscapes are, are obviously a lot more open, like landscapes, you can have a similar landscape in different places. But... Yeah, also the, the, the rules are different. Um, the rules are different for making and viewing. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I made a, the thing, the one that's, there are two paintings that, are, that are automatically leap to mind when I think about the interiors. One is called Witness, um, and the other one is uh, called Of Hidden Doorways. And they're both um, pretty dark pictures. Um, that have a kind of dustiness to them you know they're um they're if not abandoned then then certainly unpopulated um so they end up becoming even more of a mirror you know you you're projecting yourself into a space that has limits and what concerns me or concerned me about them was they ended up being a little bit like um, film sets, you know, uh, and those films I didn't necessarily want to reference. Okay. You know, my my, um, my gallerist in Germany, he refers to them as Caspar David Friedrich meets um, Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, he wasn't too far off, and I'm not sure I really wanted to push those buttons. I mean, I think that's really interesting, though, that you're engaged enough with your work to understand that as opposed to being like oh yeah i like that or oh i don't like that or oh, i'm going to create that again or i'm not going to create that again like that's interesting mm -hmm. that you still 
have them on your site and you still view them and you still consider them as part of your work, even if they're not as necessarily as, I guess, quote unquote, successful as your landscape mm. necessarily. Um, I think that's really interesting. Well, it, I think it, it's because it's not a closed circuit. They, you know, in some ways, all paintings are a stepping stone um, in in a in a greater pond that you're crossing. I don't know. Um, they're, or they're punctuation marks um in a in a broader story and you have to leave them behind as they are they're a representation of where you were at that point and you know i guess i've also come to realize how affected we are by environmental pressures you know um for example you know coming here coming to newfoundland had a had a massive impact on what i chose to paint and it's like a trickle down um process you know it leaches out of you somehow and suddenly you end up thinking hang on a minute I didn't intend to exactly do that and but yet here it is because it's filtered through you yeah I I mean it's eternal mystery I suppose you know we're a mystery to ourselves (laughs) absolutely that's you know that's part of the process and it's part of the joy and the pleasure of being able to create something I feel like with every image you create you you're that one step closer to the unreachable you know yeah I think that's really kind of the joy of it I think um yeah I think that's a great answer. It's a very great answer. Mm, thank you. So um, moving on slightly, but not too much. So exhibiting work is definitely something I want to talk to you about because you're actually quite well represented in terms of your work. If you start from the beginning in terms of at what point did you know that your work was quote unquote good enough to start exhibiting? And also what was the process being like exhibiting your work? I think false modesty is pointless. You know, there's no point saying, oh, you know, I don't know whether it's any good. You know, yeah, at a certain point, you know, they, they got, to a point where they felt like they they responded to me as I wished, or they they started started hinting at me that they might be um, good enough um, to be to be inflicted upon the world, <laughs> and um, <laughs> but I think also you know the, it's taken out of your hands slightly. You know, the moment oh. you take the decision, right, I'm going to go to art school because I want to get better at this, and at the end of art school there is an exhibition, of course. You know, the, the, it's, you're pulled really by the magnet of it. Um, when you first see them exhibited together in a space, that changes things um, because they're not what you thought they were, or they are, but even more so. Um, and you can't know it until you see them. Yeah. For some of my career, I, I've really enjoyed the process of showing, being there and, and, um, and just being around the work and seeing having other people be around the work. But also other times, you know, maybe at times of much more financial pressure, um, they're, oh God, they're fraught experiences because you can't help but say, geez, please, somebody have one. You know, th- yeah. that's part of the, of the process um, because you want to make more. Honestly, I think it's more important to make, make the work than to live for the action of showing because that, that moment is going to be over in a, in a couple of hours. Yeah. And it'll, it'll exist as a line on your CV and maybe some images. It's, I mean, it is a great way to reflect on where the work is um, and how it relates, how each painting relates to another one, how they, how they relate to a blank space. Um, in some ways, what you're doing is you're putting them into an idealised environment and hoping that they stand up on their own. Yeah. You know, and that they've got legs, you know. Um, occasionally they don't. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, the work can suddenly feel much smaller or much bigger. 
or far bleaker or more hopeful or warmer or you know um and you can't really know that and until you get a grasp of them together um but like i said at the beginning I, you know i've, I've had a, a great deal of of luck in in finding a few galleries or dealers that um i've able i've been able to foster a good relationship with um and that's a challenge sure i think also part of it is the fact that you also have to be good enough as like an artist and have to put in the work to be able to get that it's not just a, an overnight thing it isn't but you know what we also have to deal with is the fact that it none of this is merit driven yeah you know um whether whether work is exhibited or not or or whether it sells or not or um whether you leave any lasting imprint with your work has nothing to do with um how technically proficient you are as an artist maybe it should do um but it's not it's not the way we work as people you know we get excited by the hype of something you know quite often we raise things up that don't really have a great deal of value and other things can be ignored that have value um or vice versa you know it's unknowable yeah. and it's all time dependent you know the, the obvious ones you know are the cliche the cliches of the artist is never successful until they're dead kind of a, a notion yeah, yeah. mostly yeah. that isn't necessarily true but um it can be yeah of course absolutely and i think there's a concept of having it earlier actually um and i think that's the things like there's a huge myth that people can create a living off the art really easily really quickly when actually that's not necessarily the case sometimes it is but not necessarily the case and I think there's a there's a huge myth that you look at an artist and you automatically assume because they're pumping out say a lot of work that they're doing it full time when actually they might not be. That might just. I be... think there's also a, a huge huge difference. Sorry to cut you off. There's no, a sorry. huge difference between the the current history that we project and the actual reality of day to day making. Yeah. You know, just because I mean Instagram is 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 a, is a really fascinating one for this because just because we're um, you, you know, an artist is pumping out a great number of images. Um, you know, I've got this wonderful little um, uh, cartoon that has two pictures. Um, the first is Leonardo da Vinci holding up his the, the Mona Lisa, saying, "I've taken fifteen years or, or whatever it is um, to to create this masterpiece, and I'm delighted." And the, the the one below is somebody with their phone saying, "Oh my God, I haven't posted anything for three days on Instagram. People must think I'm a failure." Just because we don't have to give in to the mirage, yeah. you know, uh, to to that that's suddenly success. You know, people can have beautiful looking shows with nothing else, or yeah. are completely ignored, or I don't know. I guess I'm just a, a fan of um, work that's a bit, you know, can be quiet or small or um, is isn't showy or um, you know has to have kind of glaring neon around it. To yeah, make like your, work is, your work is very pensive that's how i describe it that's how i describe it i think and i think that's really nice because you're right like it's not about oh look at this this is so cool look how great this is it's you know this is what i have to offer if you like it you like it if you don't you don't you know i think that's what's really nice and i think we definitely live in a society that is very hype driven and that's very like um based on numbers and figures as opposed to actuality and talent because I think realistically, just because you have, and I say this every single time I do an interview, just because you have a million followers does not mean you have a million pounds in the bank. And I think that's what people need to understand is that hype is is very different to, to selling. And I think when it comes to art, 
I think the idea of success is not determined by the amount of people who follow you or the amount of likes a comment gets or the amount of, um, you know, like like value for art is is not is within the engagement and it's with yeah sure it's obviously within the monetary value but it's within the engagement you create and the you know reciprocation you get from the people who view it yeah i mean at least i think yeah i, I mean i i agree with that i think that um two things we we're, we're all rather excited by the drama yeah of of ideas you know with that um oh, this person is showing in this place and they've got 50,000 followers or, or whatever it might be, yeah. and therefore they must be good. Or, oh, you know, this person hasn't got followers, didn't go to this school, didn't go there, doesn't have this CV, therefore they must be bad. And, um, you know, the reverse can easily be true. But also, I'm not sure whether this is correct or not, but I suspect that there was a point in time when people went to museums and the first question in their mind wasn't how much is this thing worth you know when we made that um compromise with commerce that that's the thing that became more important and um i mean i guess you know this is a completely separate issue but the there is a reason why the contemporary art market is the largest apart from drugs the largest unregulated market in the world um, where insider trading isn't just, um, you know, ignored, it's positively um, championed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's, um, but again, it comes down to the drama of it. We love the drama. You know, we love no. the, the, the showmanship of it all. I think also part of the problem is that a lot of artists have, well, art has a, um, a reputation of you know oh, artists are flamboyant they're kind of you know the black sheep of the family they're all kind of like you know the odd ones out and i think that's you know not right now at this moment in time that's just not how it is at all but it's how it's still seen in many ways well it, it has to be um okay. because it, you know if we if we were projected as being um ordinary which we are uh, you know normal ordinary people who have a particular take on things then we'd have to accept that the work isn't perfect yeah. and is the product of flawed people and therefore probably wouldn't be quite as um exciting and investment worthy in those okay. terms um you know again it, it, it's it's wonderful smoke and mirrors um that you know we're, we're convinced that you know when a painting is worth more than a house you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know so talking about the kind of the commerce of art what do you think it means to be a successful artist and how do you measure the success of your own work um this is where i have to revert back to making some kind of romantic statement which honestly isn't quite as romantic as it sounds if i can truthfully make a good painting a painting that i can stand behind and that can fit somewhere in art history then that's the success you know um everything else is for somebody else to decide you know i don't get to decide whether um whether i'm a success or not you know i think a lot of it is is primarily down to taste you know why um for example was a painter like um the obvious one is bouguereau um you know that was at the height of French academic painting, 
you know, incredibly famous in his time. And, you know, within 150, 200, you know, yeah, 150 years, um, people were defacing them in art schools, mm. you know, uh, and people were actively being encouraged to draw on them. And, and the, they're not, they weren't worth anything suddenly. That, that's a reflection of fashion and taste changing. You know, modern, modernism intervened. I think all I'm saying really is that we don't get to choose. You know, we don't get to um, plot or strategize our way out of failure. So all we can really hope for is to hope to make a good painting. Okay, that's a very, very, very good answer, I must say. Uh, I told very... you it was romantic. <laughs> no, but it's very, it's very truth. It's like a very truthful answer, and I, and I appreciate that. Um, I think that's cool. I think that's very, it's very nice because, you know, it shows me that, you know, you care about what you do as opposed to just doing it for the sake of doing it. You're not just being like, oh, oh, I was just paint because I've got nothing better to do in my life. It's like, you know, you actually feel what you're doing and you actually engage with what you're doing. Honestly, I, and this is, this is probably the most revealing thing I can possibly say, you know, I care about this. You know, I deeply care about painting, yeah. what I'm doing and its impact on me and what it might be capable of doing for others and therein lies the responsibility again yeah you know i have a responsibility to it um not to confuse zeros on a bank balance with making a good picture yeah of course absolutely mm. and i think that comes across very well in the way you talk about your work and the way you talk about what it means to be an artist, which is why I like talking to people about their work as opposed to just sending them emails with a list of questions because sure. you you get a, you know, there's more occasion there. For me, it's a privilege for me to do it. Um, mm. Yeah, um, well, you you know, I guess you carve away the um, the levels of word weaving, you know, yeah. because everybody's bio and statement is, um, is a, a boiled down um, palatable version of the the internal struggles of making so do you think that an artist can create too much work yes yes i i, I do um and i think it, it comes back to a kind of pressure you know we're, we're pressured for um inventory and um you know it's why and i mean no disrespect to artists that do this because i understand what it the necessity of creating another income stream but it's like the idea of um, prints, yeah. prints of, of paintings that are that are signed by the artist. Um, it, it, it's an attempt to make more work quicker, and have more objects that can spread further. Yeah. Um, I think that if if the work is made very very quickly, um, and no reflection is allowed, um, it, again it becomes a stream of consciousness. Um, and if if one isn't careful, it ends up in a kind of Dada poem um, that becomes impossible to link. I think also, you know, you have to have a um, a way to um, edit. You know, you have to be able to, to self-edit as you're going along. I mean, you know, it may just be me saying saying that because I, I don't make a great deal of work. You know, um, if I make 20 paintings a year, then that's a pretty damn good year. You know, at times it's been ten to twelve, and I don't know. I, I guess there's no there's no right wrong way of doing things. It's, it's just I am uncomfortable with the idea of a blizzard of objects. I think it, it's a rare person that can contain 
and sort of navigate that that quantity. I mean, if, if you look at somebody like Anselm Kiefer, who I think was described as having an almost demonic creativity, um, who's, you know, is in the position where he's making masses and masses work. He seems to be one of those rare people that can keep on top of the of the process of, of that, you know, that speed of generation. But personally, I, I, I struggle with the idea of making masses of work just for the sake of numbers. So do you only sell original pieces then? Yeah. Oh, wow. The photography being an, an obvious um, uh, exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I, you know, I make um, works on paper that are effectively watercolours, um, but they're obviously unique. Um, all the paintings are unique, of course, by definition. Um, yeah, I, I think this, the, the handmade is, is important to me. That concludes the first part of this conversation with Mark Thompson. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about the conversation, please send me an email via theflyingfruitball at gmail.com or via social media sites such as Instagram. The Flying Fruit Bowl audio interviews can now be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the platform, please consider subscribing on any of those and sharing this interview with friends and family. Also, if you're a creative, Please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, folks, please stay safe.